Hello, and welcome to MedEd Thread, a Cleveland Clinic Education Institute podcast that explores the latest innovations in medical education and amplifies the tremendous work of our educators across the enterprise. Hello, welcome to today's episode of MedEd Thread, a Cleveland Clinic Education Institute podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Kipchak, co-medical director of the Center for Continuing Education here in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. And today I'm very pleased to have Dr. Eduardo Morales, director of the Medical Intensive Care Unit and medical director of the Simulation and Advanced Skills Center, as well as Dr. Cecile Foshi, co-chair of the Office of Interprofessional Learning and director of the Master of Education and Health Professions Education Program here to join us. I welcome you both to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So first, Eduardo, what role does education play at Cleveland Clinic in advancing quality and patient safety in healthcare? Thank you, Stephen. I would say it's essential. It's a key part of what we do every day. When you sent us the questions, you made me think about stories that actually have told us of how this gets implemented. And I would start with a couple of them that will put them into framework of how we use education here at the clinic, at, at least in the, uh, I think that they will highlight where we're going. The first one is related to intubation. Uh, so this is a critical part of how we take care of our patients in the ICU. And years ago, uh, around a dec decade ago, we had a protocol that was very old. And a group of our physicians joined to discuss that we were not doing things at the quality level that we wanted. So these interprofessional groups had designed, redesigned the whole process, and we started training our fellows. Instead of training, actually, the staff, we started with the fellows, which were the ones that were doing the implementation. And this led rapidly to a change in how we were implementing intubation in the ICU. But more interestingly is that it changed the way that our staff were intubating because suddenly they saw that there was a different way that was being implemented. And instead of having to start from the top, trying to change everything on the bottom, we started from the bottom and changed up. And now everybody does the same way, which was a major item. Actually, when people leave the ICU and they go work elsewhere, they usually ask us for extra copies of our protocol because it's so uh, meaningful for them, because it changes the spirit in the room. So that is one in which we actually implemented, went, use simulation, and train everybody. The second one is a little bit different and talks about uh, how the daily education that we do. So uh, years ago also, there was a change in the way that we resuscitate patients. And they told us, well, there seems to be a signal that if you use this other type of solution of IV fluid, uh, patients may have worse outcomes. And there was a couple of publications that were strong enough, and we did a couple of journal clubs, and then we invited the author of that article in one of our major meetings to just talk to us. That's it. Then we measured the change of how we were resuscitating our patients. We just went and saw the change on administration of that solution, and without any operational dictum or having people do it and auditing, we went from using that solution 20% of the time to using it 80% of the time, just by those types of education that happen. So uh, that's how you implement education to 
achieve change. And if you can, don't continue to do that, it doesn't, it, it will not happen without education. So I think that if when you ask me what's the role, I think it's essential. And these two examples highlight that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Those are, those are great examples that showcase um, how education shaped and created the change that you desired. I appreciate that. So next, let's turn to, to Cecile. Uh, Cecile, could you um, elaborate on how interprofessional learning helps impact quality and patient safety and, and perhaps share an example of, of how you've applied that? Oh, of course. Um, so I'm happy to be here with Eduardo, who is our co-creator with the example I'm going to give you. So we have a, a program in the MICU that is called SMILE. Uh, and SMILE stands for Strengthening Minds by Leveraging Education. And this is not necessarily a quality and patient safety um, curriculum, but it is something around learning how to work with one another, how to be better at, at coordinating each other's you know uh, roles and responsibilities. And so I think that is really linked directly to quality and safety and, you know, minimizing errors. So this program kind of was born was late 2018. Eduardo and I started working together and we were involved in many different professions. And the program kind of evolved over time. But really, we started out with very basic things. We even did a um, focus group. Remember that? We, we did a focus group and we invited residents. We invited, you know, our nurses and uh, fellows and um I think PAs and pharmacists, I think were part of the, of the focus group. It's been a while. I don't remember exactly who participated, but it was interesting that the one thing everybody was really fussy about was roles and responsibilities, right? People assume that everybody knows what everybody does. And so a, a huge component of SMILE was exactly that, just m making sure we're bringing awareness around what people do and being more explicit about what everybody is responsible for. And then we, you know, we get comments from people talking about how they're going to be more intentional about eliciting people's roles and how that alone improves the quality of the care that they do. Um, then over time, we kind of expanded the curriculum um, to be more um, include also psychological safety, which is, you know, more around speaking up and, you know, making sure that people feel comfortable enough to voice their opinions. Then we added another component, which is actually, I really like that one. Remember the day in the life of? And that one is really around developing a sense of empathy for other professions, right? So when people know about their roles, that's one piece, but also understanding how busy everybody else is, right? And how how much everybody's pulled in different directions and all of those pieces when you when you are aware um, there was this one comment from someone that said I will actually go out of my way to check in with the person and ask them how is their day going and what can I do to make it better those things seem unrelated to quality but I think you know they're just linked right they you can't have one without the other then we did our final piece that we did for that curriculum was um, adding a teaming component, which is more around the efficiency, you know, the clear communication, doing huddles and briefs and things of that sort. So it's been a great experience. It has been, you know, it has evolved, like I said, through the years and um, it, it wouldn't have happened without Eduardo's support and champion. I, I, I would add to, to, to the SMILE uh, program, it started in 2018 and we went for uh, actually practically uninterrupted. It's half an hour every week, and we were training a lot of providers. But by that time, I think by the time that COVID hit us in 2020, we had trained probably around 600, 700 providers. 
And I, I would say, from my standpoint, we would not have had the response and the dynamics within the team if we had not created that, because it opened a lot of channels to highlight that even though the topic was not essentially quality and safety, it talked about how the team actually behaves and that it fosters quality and safety. Oh, thank you, Cecile and Eduardo. Um, yeah, I, I think you're, you're underscoring that healthcare is a, a team sport in, in all aspects. And, and as educators, um, we need to be creative in how we're going to consider interprofessional teamwork in ways that we can bring those teams together and teach them to perform better. And, and that's wonderful outcomes that you've had, that you've been able to teach over 600 caregivers to uh, know what they do and to work better together. And that's led to improvements in, in quality of care and, and more safe care, which, which is the goal that we're all after. So a qu question for both of you, what, what challenges do you face when you want to create and implement educational activities that deal with quality and safety? <laughs> We're laughing, right? Time. Um, time is the biggest barrier, you know, logistics. Um, so, for example, in that SMILE program, we require that four professions are present, not four people, four professions represented, right? So that if you're trying to create something that's interprofessional, you can't have just the residents and you can't have just the nurses, right? You, you need to be able to hear everyone's voices and, you know, making sure that you pick a day that is good for everybody or a time that is good for everybody. And it's not just the participants, it's also the facilitators, right? Even though it's only a half an hour, it's every week. Um, which, you know, speaks actually to the commitment that Eduardo has made to the program to be able to pull people away from their clinical duties for half an hour. But it's, it's a logistical nightmare. It really is, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the other challenge, I would say, is uh, identifying the best practices. Uh, it's very easy to be reactive to an, an event, but uh, really sitting down with the quality and the safety team and the clinical team and figuring out what, what do you want to teach and what is going to be what you want them to retain. And that requires some knowledge on educational theory and, and, and how to design uh, appropriate educational events so that the people come out. So we, can, we don't train everybody just with simulation, for example. It's, uh, I mean, there's things that are better with a case discussion on, on a, in front of the table or watching a video or uh, doing simulation. So that, that's a, a key part, identifying and using the right strategy because I would say that it's very costly to educate people. And so if you're going to devote the amount of time for them to go through any education, you better choose appropriately so that they come out with the outcome that you want. Thanks to both of you for that answer. I, I think You've identified many practical tips and reminded educators that you have to be very thoughtful in your education design. That's foundational. And you have to consider uh, the complexity of implementation. So we're, we're, you're teaching very a very busy audience here of learners. And so how do you overlay that education in a way that's not disruptive, but helpful? And, uh, and, and considers the facilitators as well, because uh, it, it's... it's um, tricky to be able to um, design and implement an activity that, that cre uh, leads to the outcomes that we're after. So thanks for the great example and the great reminders of, of how to overcome those challenges. 
So, Cecile, do you, do you have another example that you could share with the audience uh, of initiative you've created that uh, helps address quality and safety through education? Sure. Um, so a lot of what we have done in the Office of Interprofessional Learning has actually built from the lessons that we learned through SMILE in, in, in the MICU. So we um, opted to go with a different strategy, and that's coaching, right? So rather than delivering information that is general and applicable to everybody, we decided we would focus on, okay, what are the specific challenges, you know, specific teams are, are, are dealing with, right? So we gather information from a team about where they are right now and where they would like to be. And then we use that information to tailor discussions and, you know, we really open up a conversation, right? So we provide the platform for them to say, okay, you know what, Eduardo, when you do this, it makes me feel this way, you know, when you do that, you know, so it really is more about guiding the discussions rather than um, a teaching strategy. It's, it's really a true coaching experience. And I think that is even more um, effective, however, is more challenging, right? It's, it's very, as, as we're talking about the barriers for education, you know, even finding the right time and the right place is challenging. Now imagine trying to coach a team and trying to find something that works for everybody. And you obviously cannot have a conversation if not everybody's present, right? So that becomes a huge logistical issue. So there needs to be buy-in from the leadership to make sure that they, yes, we're committed to doing this and we're going to do that. And, you know, it it's not an easy thing to implement, but I think there's a lot of potential for, you know, complementing education efforts with, you know, a coaching component so that people have more buy-in about their solutions, right? Because they're coming up with their own solutions. They're saying, this is what's really important to me, instead of us going and saying, you know, you got to work on this because we think this is important. So it's, a, it's, it's a, a little bit of a flip on, you know, just traditional education. Yeah, th thank you for sharing about that strategy. So education isn't episodic, right? We're tending to a, a, an environment and a culture here and, and you've created some, some great educational activities, but how do you, how do you sustain the change? And, and I think coaching is a fantastic example, how longitudinally you can help those learners stay accountable to the, the commitments to change they're making when you had everyone get together for the activity. So uh, thanks for elaborating on that. So um, let, let's shift and, and talk a little bit more about simulation. So simulation at Cleveland Clinic, we're, we're blessed to have lots of fantastic and innovative space. There's over 10,000 square feet at our main campus dedicated to simulation. Um, many of our clinical areas have small embedded simulation centers really close to the point of care. We have an area that's dedicated just to task-based uh, uh, simulators. Uh, and, and the Sim Center offers many courses throughout the year that are uh, tailor-created to, to meet the needs of our learners here at our organization. Uh, and, it, and it doesn't stop in Cleveland. We've got facilities throughout our health system uh, that uh, are connected to our Sim Center, and we've got spaces in each of those regional hospitals as well. So with that as our backdrop, Eduardo, so how, how do you use all of this great space and tools and a team of educators to ensure that simulation helps achieve that goal of quality and patient safety? There, there's a structural behavior here, which is essentially you have to 
be available to all the institutes and all the caregivers um, so that they have a way to reach into the simulation space to ask for support. And you have to embed actually people within the quality and safety structure to ensure that they have an ear uh, into the table because if there's no voice at that table, they may not know that that resource is available within the structure. There's a healthy behavior that occurs here, which is within every institute, there's a quality officer and there's also an educational group within each one of the institutes. And we actually have representatives of several of those institutes within the Simulation and Advanced Skills Center. So I'll give you an example of how we use simulation under, under these circumstances, at least in our institute. We had an issue with Central Line acquired bloodstream infections, and that's a major item. And I believe that happens across all centers uh, right now. This is a, a key area for us to focus. And we wanted to ensure that our team was placing the line in a sterile fashion. And we had sent, you know, you can send as many emails as you want. You can say it as many times as you want in a huddle. But in reality, you need to have somebody to be able to see how, how they are doing. And we created, we asked the SIM Center for support, the support with a simulation operation specialist, an education specialist. And uh, we created a mini curriculum in which essentially our team members, while they were working, we will have them go through and then on a, a mannequin will attempt to perform the procedure. But the issue was not performing the procedure, it's how they prepared all the way and how they were communicating. And so we had a checklist and now the trainers and the, the team in the unit, so actually the nurse at the bedside that it's supposed to be observing and guiding the team was actually the instructor. So we gave them the checklist that they are supposed to use and watch the, the, the clinician to create a psychological safe environment. Because one of the challenges is they don't feel safe telling a physician, you know, you touch your, your head with the glove, which is a major breach, right? So we use that to, at the same time, address the issue of psychological safety to ensure that everybody knew the steps of how to achieve the things. And, uh, and finally, that helped us kind of reset this, this state of where we were. So that's one of the ways that we use it. But in general, there's multiple examples of how we, how we do this through that structure that fits into the SIM Center as a resource for the institutes to use. Oh, thank you for sharing. Appreciate that. So a, a fi final question to both of you. Do you have any other tips or advice to share with educators that are listening in of, of how they can utilize education to achieve uh, goals of quality care and safe care in their own environments? I think I would start with you have to provide support, right? So if you want to engage people to educate and to move the needle in, in, in any direction, in any topic, you have to provide them with the support, right? You have fabulous educators in, in, in every unit, but not all of them, as Eduardo had mentioned earlier, have the understanding of uh, educational theory, for example, right? So what we tend to do is we create um, faculty guides for people to be able to facilitate the information so that when you engage people to, you know, to try to teach around quality and safety or whatever other project you have, you know, they'd be able to, to do it for you in a consistent manner. 
In addition to that, then you have the facilitator itself, and that's just personal attributes. Like Eduardo's an amazing facilitator. He's just like he has this ability to engage people and draw them in. And I think it's because of his, he's um, a genuine person, right? So you come in and you really like you tap people on the shoulder and they actually like you. And then, you, you know, you, you talk to them as human beings, right? And I think that's something that sometimes educators feel like they're like, the experts and they get to deliver information rather than, you know, we're one-on-one, we're learning from one another, let me hear from you and really be honest in those inquiries, right? Really want to listen to them and what their needs are so then you can really speak to them. I think that's critical, especially in this space of safety, right? If you want to improve that, you have to be really transparent and honest and really invite their participation. Without their engagement, you're not going to have anything. Thank you. Thank you for the kind words, uh, Cecile. I I would say the other tip is that there's always so much that you want to teach. So you have to pace it. Uh, And you have to have a global view of what are the key items that you need the team to be aware and how to get them there. Um, There's all these priorities that keep coming through. And uh, if you try to teach them all of them, you end up confusing them more and more and more. So having blocks and chunks where you focus on this, and actually this is a direct com- communication with the with leadership uh, because they have different expectations, right? So you have to to say, well, I'm we're getting there. This is the areas, and then try to establish the structure of how the uh, the unit operates that requires the least amount of education. So the the amount of things that happen automatically and the other ones that you need to teach, use them to to teach so that the brain doesn't get overwhelmed. Well, thank you. Those are fantastic tips and and insights. And and I I thank both of you so much. Uh, For for the listeners here, I I really feel honored to sit down with Dr. Morales and Dr. Foshi. They're, They're amazing master educators. Uh, and I have a lot to learn from them, and they're, they're great examples to me. Uh, and, I, and I think you've offered some really sound advice to listeners about how to design education uh, effectively. Think of that first. If you're going to have good outcomes, it's got to be thoughtfully designed. You have to make sure your faculty are trained and developed so they can they can teach well. Um, and and you, you simply want to space this. You don't want to overwhelm anybody. You want this to happen over time so you can see the learning occur and the learning applied. And uh, and and to think think about the team, right? So this is the team, have the team get together to learn by and from and with each other. Uh, and and as much as you can practice practice it, right? So use those simulation methods. Uh, and facilities if you have them available, but but the more you can do that in in a in a replicated environment, you know, the better chance you're going to see it applied in practice. So uh, I, I think listeners can take away from this podcast that education is essential, as you started out with Eduardo, to ensuring uh, a, a quality and safe healthcare environment. And so um, encourage all the listeners to apply these things. Uh, And thinking of our listeners, I thank you for tuning into this podcast. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful day, and we'll, we'll look forward to having you come to the next one. This concludes this episode of MedEd Thread, a Cleveland Clinic Education Institute podcast. Be sure to subscribe to hear new episodes via iTunes, Google Play, 
SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening to MedEd Thread, and please join us again soon.